good morning. Thank you all for coming this morning. I hope you enjoyed your brunch. Um, I am Lauren Etter. I am not Chris, obviously. Um, I am the discipleship coordinator for the women's ministry over women's Bible study. And unfortunately, Chris is not here this morning. I'm sorry. She's actually has a week off for much needed and much deserved um, rest and refreshment. So she'll be back next week. So I'm sorry you have me. <laughs> And I'm nowhere near as funny and good as Chris, so I appreciate your grace. Um, but I'm very excited to be here with you. Um, just real quickly, a little bit about me. Um, anytime we ever have a guest speaker, I always want to know a little bit about the person that's talking to us. So, uh, again, my name is Lauren Etter. I was born and raised in Flower Mound, Texas. Um, so I am, I guess, a, a native to this area. My parents still live in the house out off Shiloh Road that I was born in, not born in, but came home to, from the hospital. Um, I'm married, and my husband's name is Kyle, and we have three kiddos. I have one son who's in eighth grade, that's Ethan. I have two daughters. One is Ely, and she's in sixth grade, and my youngest is in third grade, and her name is Henley. And we are animal lovers. I'm a dog lover specifically, and I have a fur baby who is four, um, a yellow lab named Gertie. Um, who keeps us all in line. Uh, she runs our house. <laughs> and so this, when, when Chris asked me to sub in for this week, I was kind of going through it. And I had to tell you my first reaction when I saw which, which week I was going to be teaching, I was like, you gave me the week of sins. <laughs> They're going to hate me. This is not the week I want. But honestly, one of my favorite parts about getting in the Word is that God reveals stuff that I've never seen before. My background is that um, Don and I have been friends for many, many years and met each other at CBS, which is also Community Bible Study, um, if you're familiar with that, similar to Bible Study Fellowship. And so we met there years ago, um, and then I most recently was serving as their teaching director before I came on staff here at Rock Point. Um, the interesting part, um, and some of you may have experienced this, is that God continually places me in positions that I think I can't do that or I don't want to do that. And so I'm very cautious not to say I won't do anything because I know if I say that, that's where he's going to take me. I was born with a speech impediment um, and had surgery as a young child and as an adult to try to fix it. And it was not totally fixable, but because of that, I loathe public speaking. And so I avoided speech class and everything else that I had to be in. I learned to talk very, very fast, which I'm going to try to slow down as I speak. Um, I think the reason I probably naturally took on fast talking was to get it over with very quickly. And so I've had to learn to pull that back. So when the Lord called me into speaking on a stage at CBS, my first inclination was to laugh hysterically because I thought there's no way I'm doing that. And <laughs> Yes, I was. So he got his way. And so each time I'm asked to get up and speak, it is a double-edged sword because it's a sweet, precious time with the Lord preparing for a teaching. But it is like the scariest, hardest thing ever to do. And you guys are not scary. So, but I am sweating. So I put on extra deodorant and more black. Um, but it's a, such a sweet time. So here's my little nugget that as you study the word and you are studying deeply this year in the SOAP method and the word, God is going to call you into areas that maybe you would not choose for yourself. Because when he does that and takes you out of your comfort zone, you know that he's the one doing it. It's not you. And so it's a sweet little hug from him, but don't be afraid. Take those little, take those challenges. Because um, he'll get his way either way. He did with me. But it's a sweet time to see him work through you um, as opposed to you doing it on your own, uh, out, of your, out of your own gifts. So as we get started, um, I'm going to open us with prayer and we're going to dive into Ephesians 5. 
if you'll join me in prayer real quickly. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Um, it's such a humble experience to be able um, to be entrusted with your word, um, to open it up and, and see what you have for me personally and for me to share with these ladies. I ask God that you will bless this time together, that everything I share will be glorifying to you, and that you'll prepare every heart to receive what you have for each of us individually. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for your many blessings. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this week might have stung some of you a little bit, and stung me a little bit. As we began day one, uh, we were very simply reminded to love others the way that God has loved us. It seems simple enough. It's not as simple as it seems. Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The message says the same verse this way. Watch what God does, and then you do it, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. There's a couple of favorite areas I have in the message version of this verse. The first one is that mostly what God does is love us. And as we know how busy God is taking care of the entire world, when you think about all that he is doing, that he's mostly loving us, that's a direct picture of how much he loves us, that mostly what he's doing is loving us. Where we're told to keep company with him. What does that mean? It means stay in communion, stay in contact with God, be in his word, pray, talk to him, share your life with him, and allow him to take control of your life in the direction it's headed in. And to learn a life of love. <clears throat> Notice it doesn't say you will learn completely a life of love, that you'll reach completion in learning what you, this lesson. It's learn a life. It's a continual process that we will never complete it until we're taken home, that God is expecting this to be a, a, a journey with him. Love like that, very simple. Love like that. One of the areas that um, when I was concentrating on this particular verse was the word that spoke out to me was the, was the letter L, because that's a, my name, with L, but also love. Love seems very simple to understand. Love is a word that is thrown around sometimes uncautiously, sometimes very cautiously, but it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. We're told to imitate the love that God has given us. And the picture I gave my kids when we were talking about this is that when you imitate your parents, I always think of my first child because he was our new one, so we didn't know what to do with him. And we figured out at age two that he was gaining some independence, and so he started imitating us. And so if we were putting his shoes on or brushing his teeth or brushing his hair, he would say, I do it. I do it, Mommy. I do it. And he was imitating what we were doing. God is instructing us like little toddlers. He's saying, Imitate me. Love others the way I am loving you. Love others the way I'm loving you. Forgive others the way I have forgiven you. Trust others the way that I'm trusting you to hear me clearly. Love others, Lauren, and imitate what I'm giving you in your life to others. We're instructed by our Heavenly Father in a very clear and distinct way. Uh, love can be described as a, in many different ways, but some of these are some of the definitions I found about love. That's described as a strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties 
or as an assurance of affection, also as a warm attachment, enthusiasm, or devotion, that love is something that's experienced, witnessed by, felt internally, or shown to others. People know you love them by being told that you love them, possibly. But the way you really know if someone loves you is not by if they tell you that, it's by the way they treat you. We can be told that God loves us, but it isn't until we allow him to love on us and see his provision and feel his, his presence and watch him work in our lives that we understand the depth of love that we have. Everyone has known someone that throws that word around and says, oh, I love you, but their actions depict a very different feeling. God is calling us not just to say it. He says he wants us to do it. If we're going to talk the talk, we need to walk the walk. Love isn't always as easy as it seems. Loving people you like is very easy. Loving people that you don't care for is much harder. That's where love gets difficult. Everyone knows someone that, hey, you have a group, I call it, I have a, like a holy huddle. They're my favorite people in my life, and it's very easy to love on them. And then I have the people that are outside that holy huddle that are a little bit like sandpaper or great on me or don't have the same interests as me or don't always say the nicest thing or aren't always receptive to my love. Those are the people we're called to love. We're called to, pe- called to love the people that maybe aren't as lovable as others, not the easy ones. Last year I was challenged, actually two years ago, I was challenged in a very specific way by a study I was a part of. Um, there's a book, and it's about choosing a word for your life. And some of you may have done this challenge or read this book. And at first I thought, this is great. I have a list of words I'd like God to fix in me. That was not the challenge. The challenge was not for me to fix, find a word. It was for the Lord to lay a word on my heart that he wanted to work on me with. And so I had six weeks to prepare for this particular time that we were all going to come together and share our word for the year. And we were reminded that it couldn't be a couple of words. It was one word, just one, not be fearless. There was no extra. It was just one word, period. Well, I was at about week four and had 10 days left till I had to share this word. And the Lord had not given me a word. And so I started giving him words. I thought, you know, if you're too busy to give me a word, there's a list. You can pick any of them and I'll take all of them. And they're all great words, words I'd love for him to fix in me. And he was silent. And so everyone knows someone who has shared this epiphany moment they've had when they've been struggling through a situation or praying about something and they flipped open the Bible and they land on the answer. That has never happened to me. That has happened to some people. It's never happened to me. So on this particular morning, I had shared my frustration with a friend of mine that, like, the heat is on. I don't want, I have to, like, I have to hear the word from him. I can't come up with my own word. This, this has got to be God's word. He won't give me a word. I decided I was going to do my quiet time. This particular summer, the way I was doing quiet time is I was opening into different books of the Bible. This particular week, I was in Galatians, and I would physically read a verse, write the verse. Read the second verse, write the verse. And then I would finish, you know, a particular chapter, and then I'd go back and pray over it. So literally, I had just prayed, you know, God, you know that there's a timetable, and I know your timetable is not my timetable, but you also know that this is for a holy reason, and I I need the word. I need you to give me a word. Please, any word. I need a word. I have to bring you these ladies, and I need to come from you, so please lay it on me some way I need to see it. So I start studying in Galatians 5, and we're going to put up there, but I started reading. And sometimes I'm a little dense, so sometimes God has to go through repetition for me to get something. But I start writing, and literally I start writing, and I, I, I wrote this once. I'm in Gal- I was in Galatians starting in 10. I get to verse 14, and this is what I write. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I wrote it. I kept going. I went back and rewrote it again, second time. For the whole world, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
went back and wrote a third time, and the light bulb finally went off. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. One, one word. That's my word. What's, what, what, which word is mine? That, that's what one word. And I go to love because I, I'm going through the sentence. I'm like, Lauren, the word is love. The, the one word he's talking about is love, and that's your word. You were asking for a one word, and I gave it to you. Here's your moment. And then I'm like, I don't want that word. Take the word back, God. You are like, this is not the word. That can't be the word. I do love really well. So then I go to this bargaining tool with God about this word love. I'm like, that's the one word I would have not picked. Like, I feel like I love really well. There's a whole list I gave you of things I don't do well. This is the thing I do well. Why would you want me this to be my word? Even my closest friends and shepherds were kind of, they were kind of dumbfounded by this being my word. But I was, knew that God had given me the right word, and I knew that this word was something he wanted to hone in with me for his purposes. And so I began a year of change where he was going to show me what that one word meant from him to me. Here's what he meant for it to, to mean to me that I finally got. <clears throat> Very simply, Lauren, I want you to love me above all things, above all people, above all plans, and most importantly, above any and all understanding you have about the year I have for you. You are to be obedient to my call on your life, whether it makes sense or not, because you love me that much. This became clear as God called me to step out of many areas of comfort zone for myself. He called me out of a, a study that I had loved and been fed in deeply, had deep roots in, strong ties in a prayer life, and called me to step out of that and follow him without telling me where he was taking me. He called my husband and I to step out of a company that we had built together without giving us what plan B was and told us to trust him and take a step out in faith and wait and see what he had for us for the year. He called me to explain to loved ones about changes we were making in our life, about embracing new friends, new, new prayer choices, new styles of doing different things in our lives. All this was a year of change for God. And every time it didn't make sense, he reminded me of my word. I called you to love me above all understanding. Trust me and take a step out in faith. If we walk in love and if we place Christ at the forefront of everything we say, everything we do, then we will love others well. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, and walk in love. Talk the talk and walk the walk. Even when, uh, uh, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Tony Evans says this about faith. Walk by faith, even when you can't see where the next step is taking you. <clears throat> It's interesting, as I was going back through Galatians 5 about my word when God took me to love, when I kept going where I read, and when I read into Galatians 5, it mirrors Ephesians 5, which we just read in many ways, which was awesome. So we're going to, you don't have to get out Ephesians 5. I put Galatians 5 on the screen, but we're going to see if you see some correlations and some similarities between Ephesians 5 and Galatians 5. Galatians 5, starting in verse 13, says this, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, 
jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I have warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Makes you feel all warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? The interesting part about this list is it mirrors many of the sins that were listed that we read through in Ephesians 5. And what I take that to mean is that God makes it very clear where his boundaries are with becoming of this world, by dipping your toe into this world. He clearly states here, as well as in Ephesians and other areas of his word, that his children, that this world is not safe, it is not holy, it is not acceptable in several different areas, that there are boundaries for people, for children who follow his son. One of the interesting things about this list is there's probably a lot of areas that you're like, you know, that's not an issue for me. But as you look at it, there's probably areas that are for each one of us. And even if we don't show it on the physical outside, the Lord knows what we're struggling with on the inside. And ultimately, he's the only judge that matters. And that's where you take this list. You take it as a refinement of where, Lord, am I struggling in these areas that maybe I'm not even aware of. Help me to see where my heart needs to learn more about love. The other interesting thing that the boundary that helps me keep within line of where I feel like God wants me to be is that, and this is something I've shared with my children, is that if Jesus returns any moment when he returns, but if he's returned to return in this particular moment, wherever you are, would you be embarrassed that he returned and found you in the situation you're in? Will you be, would you be embarrassed if he found you in a certain place or in a certain conversation with a certain person or watching a certain thing or doing a certain thing? I never want to be in a place where I am embarrassed that my Savior returned and found me there. And that's a very good guide for me about what I enter into in this world and what I make sure I keep out of. He is aware that we are not capable of living a sinless life. There has only been one that has ever been able to do that, and he's the only one that ever will, his son, Jesus Christ. The incredible gift we've been given our Savior amongst all the other gifts is we have a Savior who identifies and understands what the temptations that we are faced with in this world. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, who has been tempted in every way we are. There's nothing that we will be tempted with that Jesus cannot empathize with. God does not expect us to live a sinless life. He's aware of what we're facing. He's aware of the cunning schemes and manipulative, maliciousness ways the evil one works within this world. But he does expect us to do our very best to avoid those temptations and to avoid his snare and run to him when we fall short. One of the interesting things about the evil one and the way he works is that it's very obvious, especially for followers of Christ, to identify areas of danger, areas that we shouldn't get into. It's very obvious when there's a particular thing we shouldn't be involved in that is glaringly obvious that it's unholy. Where he likes to get followers of Jesus Christ is in ways that are just over the edge of being holy. He likes to work in just the gray, just enough over the edge that maybe you don't notice. In a, in a, maybe just, just gossip a little bit. Just walk in this sin a little bit without going all the way over. That's how he likes to start to insert himself into our lives. He's very cunning in that way. It's very obvious um, if he's standing there with horns and the cape, like we'll see on Halloween. It's very obvious to avoid him in that way. But he's not always so scary. And that's the scariest part about him. Many times he's very attractive. Many times he looks like it might be okay, or it might just be 99.9% not that bad. 
That's what makes him the most scary, so he can be that deceptive. Now, we can all leave the study today and go out and, like, be ready to change the world in love. We can wear our What Would Jesus Do t-shirts and put on a love sign on the back of our car. If it was that easy to leave a Bible study or a worship time or a, a time in church or a certain group and feel like you can go out and change the world, that would be awesome. But that is not how this world works. It's very hard. It's very hard to live out that love all the time. One scenario I can give you is that I can come, I can come out of a church service and I can be set on fire to go and do the work of the Lord and love people and go out and have lunch with all the people I don't like and tell much I love them and how much Jesus loves them. And then this is what happens with my day. I can go to the grocery store with 25 coupons ready to save and be on budget and half those coupons will be expired or won't be accepted and I've spent way more than I needed to. I'll walk home out of my car with my bags, pick up two bags that had the majority of what I needed for dinner. Both grocery bags will break and bust everything in my sack, and there goes my dinner. I can walk inside and decide that we're going to order pizza, make it easy on myself. The pizza can come 25 minutes late and can also then be the wrong pizza because my kids only eat thin crust, and this is deep dish, and one of them has a green piece on it, so therefore they won't eat it. Then the doorbell can ring. And it can be my loving neighbor coming over and letting me know that the tree that we share has termites and he's counted the branches and one side has seven limbs, the other side has eight, mine has eight, so therefore it's your job to fix it. It needs to come down by sundown by Friday. It can go on and on and on. And it's really hard to live out that love when you're faced with a day like that. But that's when we dig in and that's when we live out that love. Everybody has walked in days like that. Well, maybe not a day that bad. But everyone has had an experience that's similar to that. Where you think, okay, you want me to love, but you keep allowing all this horrible stuff to come into my day. If you could just add all the nice people in my line and, like, make everything go great, I could love everybody. It doesn't work that way. It's hard to love others when love is the last thing that you're feeling. It's hard to love others when love feels like the last thing you're receiving on top of that. It's hard because this world is hard. And God knows this, which is why he offers his throne of grace for us to confess our sins and come to him uh, and take that gift of forgiveness that he so freely offers. Loving others also does not mean doing what everyone likes. It does not mean that loving others gives means, means giving everyone what they want. One um, situation that came to mind, especially with this being October, is that my youngest, when she was two, almost three, finally at that age got what Halloween was about. She got that you take a bag, you go door to door, and you take as much of a candy as they'll hand you, and you move on to the next house quickly. So our role at my house is that I hand out candy, and I lovingly let Kyle take the rest of the three and take them out, and they go trick-or-treating. That is, that is just the bargain we struck when my first one was born, and we have stuck with it. And so he took the three out. Henley comes back with a bag because she's cute and little and looks like she needs lots of candy. So her bag weighed like three times the size of her brother and sister's. And she thinks she has hit the mother load because she thinks, I can have all of this. And we quickly told her, no, you can have five pieces. And she looked at us like, this is my candy. I worked for this. I'm going to have all of it. No, you're going to have five pieces. So she has her five pieces, goes to get another one, and we say no, and she throws a huge tantrum. So she goes to her room for timeout. Now about 10 minutes goes by, and in that 10 minutes between the doorbell ringing and the dog barking and handing out candy, I forget that Henley has been in her room for like 10 to 15 minutes, so I go up to find her. And what we did not realize is that Henley had snuck down and gotten her bag in that 10 to 15 minutes. And that five pounds of candy had gone down to maybe one pound. The room is covered in wrappers. Our Gertie girl, our dog, is eating said wrappers on the floor. There's no telling how much she ate also. And Henley has become a very definite shade of green. And she looks at me and says, my tummy hurts. And I thought, yep, and we're going to both pay for this all night long. And we did. 
She was sick for like three hours. And the next day, she looked at me. She said, I don't know why that made me so sick. And I had to tell her, Henley, I love you, and I wanted you to have lots of candy. But what you didn't know is if you ate too much, it was going to make you sick. And every year on Halloween, she is very careful about how much candy she eats because we have all remembered the, the, the traumatic event after Halloween when Henley had that candy feeding, you know, party in her room. But the interesting part about that is that's what the kind of God that we love is that she could understand why the two people that loved her the most in the world and that she loved the most would not want her to have this entire bag of something that tasted so good and felt so good and that she wanted. Why would we not want that for her? And many times it's how we feel. We have this situation. If God would just do it the way we want it done, why won't he just do what we want if he loves us so much and gives us what we want? But what we don't see, like she didn't see, is he sees the whole scope, all the things we don't know. And he loves us too much to give us too much of what we want because he knows better than we do. Love is not always giving everybody everything they want. Sometimes the greatest love you can give is restraint. The greatest love you can give is say, to say no. Okay, moving on. We follow and serve a Messiah who loves us too much to give in to our every whim. Ephesians 5 and 10, uh, 5, 10 and uh, Ephesians 5, 17 are key verses for me in this area. Ephesians 5.10 from the ESV says, And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The same verse in the New Living Translation says, Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Ephesians 5.17 says, and this is in the ESV version, Therefore, and we know when we see therefore or but that we pay attention, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And the message states that same verse in this way. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly, making sure you understand what the master wants. And the New Living Translation says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And what does all this mean? I take this to mean that we ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance in all decisions and all aspects of our lives. We carefully determine his direction. We search his word. We wait, which is hard to do, and we listen. And we be discerning for the correct and right direction for that which is God's will in our life. We pray and be quiet long enough to hear him, which is also difficult for me. One time Lord said, Lauren, if you would shut up, I would talk to you. Quit talking. He really didn't, I don't know if he said shut up, but that's how I took it. And so I've learned to talk and then be quiet. And it's amazing if I quit talking what I'll hear. Often God's direction, his answer is not the easy one. Not always, but often his answer is the one that takes you out of the comfort zone that you like that causes you to act more on faith than certainty, more faith, more trust with less earthly guarantees. If you look back on your faith life, we can often see forks in the road. Times are seasons of impactful faith-building moments and situations that God worked in your life in mighty ways where his faithfulness and provision were perfect and apparent. I can look back and see God's incredible and miraculous weaving in my life and promises that I didn't even realize were promises that he was upholding at the time. I can see situations where he allowed me to walk in the muck so that his glory and his perfection would be revealed later on. And I can see areas where he intervened and kept me from walking in the muck and in the black and the dark to keep me safe. Ephesians 5.15 says this, for us to look carefully then how we walk, not as unwise, but be wise. And then verse 17 reminds us, as we just talked about, to not be foolish, but to understand the will of the Lord. 
One of those seasons I can look back on now and realize how I made the wrong decision and he refined me in a very painful conversation was many, many years ago, not many years ago, years ago, you all may remember the tornado that hit Joplin, Missouri. And so at that time, my husband and I had been served with a lawsuit about three months prior, a massive lawsuit for our company, and we were named specifically in it, and we were very, very upset about shouldering this, this lawsuit. It felt like a, a severe attack. And so I was going through all these emotions of feeling completely attacked, and, and, and it revealed a very ugly and dark side of my heart. I would lay it there in bed at night and think about all the things I could do to these people and where I could find them in embarrassment was not a good period of my life. But on the outside... I looked like I was handling it well, but God knew I was not. And so then this horrific tornado hits Missouri, and one of the people that were involved in the lawsuit that was served on my husband and myself and our company, his family lived in that area of Missouri. And so one morning, my husband called, and we're talking on the phone, and he said, hey, I called so-and-so. He didn't answer, so I sent him an email to check on his family. And my first reaction was, you did What? why would you contact him? They just sued us. Like, we shouldn't contact him at all. Like, we should have nothing to do with him. Like, that's dangerous. And my husband, who is, anyone that knows my husband, he is not a stern person. He's very easygoing, much kinder than I am. Very sternly said, Lauren, that's of this world. What, calling and checking him, that's, that's what we do. What, your reaction, that's this world. None of that matters. And it still to this day gives me chills. It was like a check, like as if God slapped me in the face. And with all of my love for the Lord and all of my biblical knowledge and all of my quiet time, my human side reared its ugly head. And I was totally embarrassed. And he didn't say that to me to, me, to embarrass me, but I needed to be embarrassed. And I needed to be refined in that moment about where was my heart and what was I letting God take care of versus where I was loving. And I can look back now, and that lesson can replay itself in myself so many times. And there's been so many situations God has let me walk into where I could decide to go back to that side from many years ago, or I can choose to learn my lesson and choose to love in a very hard, loving way. And I've chosen so far the right way. And so you can look back and see his grace and his mercy, even in situations when you go back and see that he will make everything right for us, for his glory, and he can make anything that has been wrong, he can refine it to use for his good, our good and his glory later on. Let me be first to admit that when you're looking in the word and you're attempting to discern God's will for your life, it is not as easy as it sounds. Amen. Anyone who's been in a quiet time or a time of prayer that you're searching for God's direction, his will in a situation, and you're not hearing from him, it says, great, just, it sounds good to say, let's just wait for God's will. Just look, you know, discern, let him discern for you what the right choice or decision is until you feel like he's gone silent, until you feel like, I don't know what to do. I, I'm not hearing clearly from him. Or both these scenarios sound great, so which one does he want me to do? When I'm faced with those, my go-to typically is to, I get paralyzed. I do nothing. And that's not the right answer. Many times he's asking for you just to make a step in one direction and then walk with him in that direction. And so in the season that my husband and I are in right now, we are faced with some very large decisions where we've been making. And so I was getting frustrated because I thought we we're trying so hard, Lord, to walk in your will and your direction for this particular situation in our life. If you would just tell us which way to go, we'll go that way. I just, I want so badly to walk in your will and not my own will. And I don't want to get the two confused. Please help me to discern what that is. And this prayer came upon um, my eyes. I had never seen this before, and I wanted to share it because it explicitly explained how I was feeling. 
My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I, will, that I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may not know, I may not know, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear. For you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. That was an aha moment for me. That I had discounted the great love of God in this situation that I was trying so hard to not do anything because I wanted to make sure I did the right thing that he wanted me to do that I did nothing. As opposed to knowing the character of God, that it pleased him so much that I was so desperately trying to walk in his will. That that was enough for him. That he knew the posture and condition of my heart and the desire of my heart that I was desperately trying to discern and walk in the direction he wanted me to. He just wanted me to take a step and then he was going to walk with me. There are times in my life that I know for sure I took the wrong road or made the wrong decision or said the wrong thing. But I love that the Lord's revealed that to me and he's refined me to make better choices next time. I also love there's equally as many moments where I know and have been affirmed I made the right choice and the right decision that I can hear clearly from him the direction that he has called for my life. And then there's moments where I reflect on and see that I thought I knew for sure I was taking the right road and I wasn't. And there's lessons in that also. His grace is abundant. Faith and the refinement of our faith as we go through different seasons always gives deeper clarity and clear eyes to seek God's will and his plans. It's moment, moments like these that give verse 20 in Ephesians 5 added importance in my life. It says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. On day five, we clearly saw and read that we are told as followers of Jesus Christ that we are not to be like everyone else, that we should stand out, and we should stand out in the way we live our lives because the way we live our lives should be a direct reflection of who we serve. God knows that we cannot live a sinless, perfect life, but he knows that he can walk with us as we walk through this life and reflect on the love that he bestows on each of us. Even when we go down the wrong path or make the wrong choice, he is there ready to be with us. We're called to live a transparent, a transparent life, a life that is indicative of who we are in him and in his eyes, but also to not live holier than thou, to be transparent with others about what, when we fall down, when we have prayers that aren't answered, when we get prayers that are answered in the way we didn't want them to be answered. We're called to be transparent about our struggles, our worries, our anxieties, and we're called to be transparent about our gifts and our praises and seeing him work. It's easier than we realize to get out of step with the gospel teachings we study and love. So that's why we dive in and we stay connected to him in a deeper and more abundant way than we've ever known. We're reminded that as followers of Jesus Christ that we're called to remember the throne of grace that's available to each of us at any time, day or night. And to wait on his timing, search and wait for his direction and his answers, trust his provision and wisdom even when we don't understand, and love his other children, to love the way we have been loved and treat, to treat others with the kindness and grace that's been shown to us. We remember that our God 
is the perfect judge, and his justice is perfect, and we humbly have the opportunity to serve at his feet. We close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your spirit, for your word, and for your son. I ask, God, that you will give each of these women an appointed time where they can share their faith with someone that you place in their path this week. I ask, God, that you would give them the words to speak, that you would bring a calmness and, and comfort over their heart as they bring those words to the forefront of their mind. I ask, God, that you would be present in those moments and that they will come back to class next week and have a moment to share with their core group. I ask, God, that you would absolutely protect every family represented in this room and that you will open our eyes to see you working whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. We love you and thank you and ask all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.